0: The rest of you, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. So last week we skipped ahead to John chapter 20. This week we're going back and uh, going to work our way through the end of John over the next few weeks. John chapter 15, promises to believe. We're going to be from verse 18 to the end of chapter 16. Uh, this uh, promises to believe is the continuation of our, the truth to believe Series, uh, but this morning it's promises to believe. We'll finish up John, I guess, uh, the end of May. It's through May that we'll be in John. Uh, Our memory verse this morning with some new blanks, and I had to practice yesterday because I wasn't getting the blanks right. So let's see how we all do. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who abo- reigns in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John fifteen five and 8. All right, I'm getting there. All right, so promises to believe. Uh, in in Working on this sermon this week, it was a short week for us uh, for me this week. We took a little trip at the beginning of the week, Etta and I did, and uh, so it was a, a shorter week. But uh, she actually read the passage to me on the way we were driving, and she's read it to me so that I began to think about it. And then as I started to work on it, it didn't break up well. Uh, we could pull sections out of this. 1518 through 1633, but every time we pulled a section out or I pulled a section out, something was missing. Well, the rest of the section, because this all goes together. So what we're doing this morning is taking that 35,000 foot view of this passage and I hope you took your Dramamine because occasionally we're going to go from 35,000 feet to 10,000 feet real quick. Get a close-up view. Yeah, I know those of you who are flying this week, y'all might, hmm. Uh, and then we'll pull back up to 35,000 and we'll take a broad view again. So just, just hold on to yourself. I don't do good on, uh, in turbulence either. But uh, that's, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Believers can't say... Believers in Jesus can't say, I believe what Jesus did on the cross saves me, I just don't agree with everything he said. Now, we, we try that, uh, all of us, even us good Baptists who are Bible-believing Baptists, yeah, but we still. There are times when we say, yes, I'm, I'm all about last Sunday. All about the resurrection and believe that I am saved and all that, but you start talking about what Jesus was saying on Thursday night, and then we get a little, but, but, you know, we're in a different time today. We're in a different culture today. It doesn't work today like it did then. And by the way, yes, I I realized, actually I was told last Sunday, that I kept saying when I was talking about Jesus talking or, or the disciples here, I kept saying last night I meant Thursday night. I got my, my weekend messed up, Saturday night, we don't know what they were doing. So, let me correct that, that I, the, every time I said last night, last Sunday, I meant Thursday night. Now everything makes sense to you, right? Glad, glad I cleared that up for you, You've been worried about it all week. But, but we do that, we, we want to discount, or maybe we just want to ignore, or, or we just don't want to have to work at, those hard things that Jesus said, like, I mean, it, it, it sounds ridiculous to say, I believe Jesus saved me, I just don't agree with everything he said. That sounds ridiculous, yet when we're told to love our enemy, how many of us want to love our enemy? How many of us are good at loving our enemy? How many of us right now can think of an enemy that we need to love? I know I can. Turn the other cheek. Well, turning the other cheek, and this is something social I've seen on social media, people actually say, it's usually in the, I'm going to talk a little bit about politics this morning because that seems to be what social media is filled up with, and I have seen people who claim to be followers of Jesus say, yes, but turn the other cheek worked then, but it doesn't work today because the stakes are too high today. Mm-mm. See, I want Jesus to save me. I just don't agree with everything he said. How about serving instead of leading? How about when he said, if anyone would follow me, he must reject his father and mother? Oof. How about take up your cross and follow me? Take up the very Instrument of your execution, and follow me. How about today's passage, if you're following me, the world will hate you. How about even in your persecution, you will have understanding, joy, and peace. Another way of saying this is, why do you call him Lord and don't do what he says? or don't believe what he says. We accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord. There's a very good and valid reason we say Savior and Lord when we talk about, when, when I stand up in a baptistry or in the local uh, aquatic center's swimming pool, when I stand up and say, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Because we, we want the saving part, We tend not to be the biggest fan of the Lord part. Save me, just don't tell me what to do. It's a package deal. The passage this morning is going to hit on all of that, especially from that 35,000-foot view. But our big idea today is you can withstand the persecution brought by following Jesus because of the promised understanding, joy, and peace you will have. There's a reason this is promises to believe, because we are promised understanding, joy, and peace, but in that first section, we are also promised persecution. We are promised that we will be hated. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage this morning, uh, we're going to pull out parts as we work through it. Uh, may read each section as we get to it. Uh, and actually, I probably think we probably will, but it won't be on the screen this morning because there's just a lot of slides to put on the screen. So, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, feel free to take one. There should be one underneath the seat in front of you somewhere. Uh, and if you don't have a, a Bible at all, keep that one. Uh, we'll get more. So, our first. 35,000-foot view of this passage is verses 18 through 25 of chapter 15. Jesus said, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Number one, we are promised persecution. Verse 18 tells us clearly as believers, now he's talking to the disciples, but, he is, but John is writing this as 40 50 years later as this is what jesus said to us and meaning us and when we get to john 17 uh, as we've talked about in the past jesus is actually going to pray for us not by name but specifically the people who will believe because of the disciples that would be us but he tells them you're not of the world so it's going to hate you verse 18 you're not a part of them you are something different now. Let's look at that word hate. It could very well mean the, uh, the emotional response, which is the opposite of love. It, just, just flat out, I hate that. Like, I hate coconut. Okay? That is a, thank you. I appreciate that, Andy. Uh, I, I just, I can't stand it. I can't sneak up on it. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the texture of it. I don't like the taste of it. There is nothing I like about coconut. Number two, right after that, is chocolate and mint together. Mint chocolate chip ice cream, blah. Peppermint patties, blah. Andes mints, blah. I hate them. They're like, they turn my stomach. Now, I love mint. Peppermint, spearmint, and I love chocolate. Never the twain shall meet in my mouth. Yeah, I know. I got my amens that I needed, so I don't care about your omes. Thank you. Now that's just a visceral, emotional. Sure, I've got some taste bud things going on there, and some texture issues. But, but that's I just hate those. It's it, it is in part talking about that. But you go back to. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. When God chooses Jacob the second born over Esau, Esau gets blessed. He has uh, all these kids, he's got land and money. God blesses him anyway. So it's obvious not obviously not an, just an emotional hatred it is a, 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 a the a, the way we would say it is it is rejection. I reject those things. I don't reject coconut. I hate it. Despise it. Don't like it. It's not just that I don't think coconut's good for you and therefore I reject. I I guess it's good for you. Who knows? Who cares? But we're talking about here, Jesus is talking about here, the world will reject you and later persecute you. I mean, it, it is a violent rejection. So that's why that emotional part comes into it, that hatred, But don't just think, Jesus is saying, that they're not going to like you. It's more than that. They are going to reject you. They are going to persecute you. And they're going to do this because you're different. You are supposed to be different. You are in this world, not of it. You are ambassadors of a a different country. You are uh, foreigners in a strange land, strangers in a strange land. We are not of this world anymore. We have different, we're supposed to have different responses to what goes on around us. We have different tactics when it comes to how we engage with what's going on around us. We plan differently. We have different ways of doing things. We have different methods of doing things. We have different emotional responses to what is going on. We we have different pleasures than the rest of the world. We see everything differently, or we're supposed to. And we have no tribe on earth but the tribe of the church this is our first relationship as believers the church everything else falls under that that's why jesus would say you can't follow me unless you have hated rejected left mother and father because that is no longer your first relationship that is no longer your first priority family is no longer the priority being a believer, following Jesus is. And verse 19 says that, and this is where we understand that it's not just uh, love, hate, but it's rejection, choosing. Jesus says he has chosen us. That's the opposite of hating, is being chosen. Love, hate, uh, chosen, rejected. Jesus says, I have chosen you and Verse 19, chosen you to be different. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, because you are different from the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. The world rejects you. Well, it stands to reason, then, if Jesus says and promises, and that if would be more like since, instead of if. It's, it's not really conditional. It's This is the way it's going to be since the world hates you. Because the world hates you, understands it hated me first. So, the, 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 the opposite or the inverse or the corollary or some other math word that I would probably get wrong, if the world hates you because of me, if the world doesn't hate you, You're of it and not of Christ. If the world doesn't hate you, there's a problem. If the world doesn't reject you, there is an issue. And, as I've said before, we're not talking about the world rejecting you because you are are a jerk. That's not an acceptable answer. Well, they're persecuting me. No, you're a jerk. You you can be Christ-like. You can stand up for biblical values and still not be a jerk. You can not stand up for biblical values and be a jerk, and the world will see, hey, that's a Christian acting like a jerk. I don't like those people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about they are, uh, you are rejected because of your faith, and if they aren't rejecting you because of your faith, does your faith show up day to day? Is it obvious that you have a different response, a different tactic, a different method, a different way of doing things, different emotions, different pleasures, different actions. The world doesn't hate you. You're of the world, not of Christ. If you live like Jesus, they're going to reject you. Everybody is going to reject you. Notice Jesus did not divide it and say, part of the world will reject you. Part of the world will hate you. This area, Rome is going to hate you, but the Jews are going to love you. Oh, he knew better. The Pharisees won't like you, but the Sadducees will. Or vice versa. The Sadducees won't like you, but the Pharisees will. Or, uh, what in their day for the Jews, the conservatives will like you, but the liberals won't. Or the liberals will like you, but the conservatives won't. Nope. In his day, the world, everybody, will hate you. So that means if you live like Jesus, you have no country You have no political party. seems we're always in election season now. It's always the next election, doesn't matter how long away it is. You have no family. You have no culture apart from Jesus' worldwide church. Yes, I know you have a country, and we love our country, we fight for our country, we die for our country, I get that. I know we have political parties because we have ideas and and biblical commands that one, in some cases, follows a lot more than the other, but not always. We have families that we love and we go back to, but they are not our priority. They are not the ones who are going to save us. We have a culture, but our culture is not what matters it is our relationship to the worldwide church and our country our political party doesn't matter which one it is our family our culture they will all hate you if you live like jesus at some point because at some point you are going to have to diverge from them if they are not also living like jesus and turns out they're probably not Promised persecutions. That's not the only promise, though. He begins this passage with this negative, this doom doom, doom sort of uh, uh, statement, this speech, but then we get into the promised understanding, where he talks about the, the Holy Spirit, the counselor's ministry. Verse 28 of chapter 15 I really need to learn to bring my reading glasses up here. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Now, if you go back this week and you start reading in chapter beginning of chapter 14, 15, 16 and and read 17 but the prayer he's not as repetitive Jesus has repeated himself a bunch of times in this probably what was a couple hour conversation assuming John didn't record everything he said he repeats over and over the same thing. So, in this promise un- promised understanding, we are also getting another promised persecution. This is where he expands on what we just talked about and talk, uh, when he says that the, there will be uh, you banned from the, the synagogue and they'll even kill you. How many of us agree being killed for your faith is persecution? Thank you for all raising your hand. That is exactly what he's talking about here. But he has promised, he has promised, that we will have understanding. Now, we would expect and, and, and maybe want him to say, but, but, during this persecution, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to make you feel better during the persecution. Well, the truth is, he's already told us that the Holy Spirit would comfort us uh, back in... I believe chapter 14, we will receive comfort from the Holy Spirit. What he tells us in this passage, again, this 35,000-foot view, is that the Holy Spirit is going to bring us understanding. He's going to testify about Jesus and guide us into truth. That's 1526 and 1613 if you're a Bible marker. We're going to get testimony. We're going to get teaching. We're going to get comfort in ways we wouldn't have expected or maybe even asked for it. These are the comfort. It's the perspective that John is actually writing from now 40 or 50 years after, or maybe even more. Some say it could have been in 90 A.D. that he wrote this, which would have been 60 years after uh, this evening. But regardless, 40, 50 years later, this is John's perspective as he writes. Years later, the Holy Spirit is testifying to Jesus and guiding John to truth by teaching him and reminding him. As we've read, uh, especially the, the previous chapters, uh, 12, 13, 11, 12, 13, all the way back, John regularly punctuates his narrative by saying, Because we remembered Jesus saying these things. Where did that remembering come from? The Holy Spirit. And so John could write what was going on in 30-whatever, 33 AD, 32 AD, something around in there. Could write what was going on from some 50 years, good average, 50 years removed and go, now we get it. Because the Holy Spirit came... Day of Pentecost, and has led us into truth. It has. He has not it. He has uh, taught us uh, testify about Jesus, and then he has guided us into truth. There's comfort in knowing about Jesus and understanding what he said. That's really the comfort we need. For example, uh, not, uh, not me personally understanding what goes on in these plants around here. I've proven this time and time again, but I think explosions happen, right? It, big ones, little ones. Uh, the big one I don't remember, but I've read about the most, is the one in Texas City back in the 40s, something like that. A ship blew up and Knocked down half of Texas City does that y'all know what I'm talking about y'all read that history okay if you ever worked in a plant I'm sure you heard about that one because that's the big don't do this button uh, that you can't push okay so there's some accident in the plant some uh, something leaks around here It's great if if the bosses if, if the people in charge, would go around to every home in the area that might be negatively affected by the accident, the leak, whatever, and goes, comes to your front door and says, I just want you to, be, to feel okay about this. I'm right here if you need a hug. It's a, I mean, I know your skin's peeling off or whatever. I know it's bad and your, your house is on fire, but can I just hug you right now and, and comfort you in this bad time? That may have its place, and it will eventually, but what would be better? The people in charge having an understanding of how things work. Accidents are going to happen, I get that. But when the accident begins, when that chain reaction, whatever it is that causes whatever could be the worst possible outcome, somewhere in the middle there are people who know how to handle it, so they pushed the right buttons, closed the right levers, that this thing, this worst possible thing, didn't happen. What was better, comfort or understanding? In that case, understanding. Well, we can't stop the persecution. We can't stop the worst possible outcome when we're talking about the world and our faith. But when we have understanding, as we're going to talk about When we know what's coming, when we have been taught how to approach it, how to respond to it, when we have the Holy Spirit, when we are producing fruit of the Spirit, when we know what our end is, what our destiny is, because we understand Scripture now and we know that to live as Christ, to die is gain, then we can be okay because we have understanding. We also have the Holy Spirit who will comfort. We get both, both and understanding and comfort. But here, Jesus is telling us you will have known, you've been taught the truth, and you will have been testified to about me when these persecutions come. You'll be ready for them. Why? Because you have me and my word. And what greater comfort is there? I mean, he's, he's talking about, I'm not going to be here, but I'll be here. I know you're worried about this because I'm going to be gone, but I'm not going to be all the way gone. You will have me here, just not the way you think you need me. And then John says, or records Jesus saying, rather, that we will have comfort in the conviction of the world. Yeah, verses 8-11, uh, through 11. That, that is comforting to know that the world will get its conviction. But notice that it is not convicted by us. Our job is not to convict the world, but to love the world and share Jesus with the world. To be neighbors, to love our enemies. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will do the convicting. Convict in sin, righteousness, and judgment. We're not going to dig deep into these. We're going to zoom down a little bit, maybe to about 20,000 feet. Sin. What's he talking about? Well, he tells us sin because they do not believe. Sin, based on that, is choosing another God, including oneself. The Holy Spirit convicts about the fact that they are choosing somebody besides Jesus, somebody besides God. Ultimately, all sin, no matter what we choose, is about choosing ourselves. It's all selfish. That is the point of sin. It doesn't work in every language, but in English, the middle letter is I, because that is the focus of sin. That's what we are doing, is is choosing ourself, choosing to be God in God's place. He will convict about righteousness, well, if, if, we are, if sin is not choosing God, righteousness is not choosing the standard that God says, and Jesus is that standard. The standard for righteousness is death, all the way up to death. That was how Jesus showed his obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. But he goes ahead and shows that he is the standard because he was resurrected and then ascended to the Father. He showed that he was exactly who he said he was. Okay, you get down on the cross. Anybody can do that? Ooh, but not everybody can rise from the grave. And, ho oh, have mercy. Now, certainly not everybody can ascend to heaven. And that proves that Jesus is the standard. So you want to know what righteous, righteousness is? Look to Jesus. The world has rejected that. The previous section. They, they hate my, your teaching because they hate my teaching. They don't want to be righteous. They don't want to follow the standard. And then judgment. Conviction about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The the God that the world chooses is a loser. And he is particularly, specifically talking about Satan. But when you have chosen yourself as a God, you've chosen a loser. When we choose sin, when we choose ourselves, when we choose to do what we want instead of what God wants, we have chosen a loser. So we can't get too high and mighty. When, G, uh, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit has come in to judge the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment, or convict the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment, we can be convicted on those same things because we sin, we choose our own God, we don't reach the standard. If, you, if anybody have, you, have perfected it, let me know. We'll go ahead and kill you now so you don't mess it up. And we follow the loser, whether it's Satan or me or both. So we can't say, well, look at the Holy Spirit convicting the the world, because earlier we are told we'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit as well. If we're led to truth, we can't not be convicted when we've been going toward falsehood. So we have promised understanding. We also have promised joy. Verses 16 through 24 of chapter 16. A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Thanks for making it clear. Well, that's what the disciples said, right? Verse 17. And some of the disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They said, What is this he is saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Promised joy. Jesus is acknowledging that life is painful. Well, persecution is painful, so he's already said that, but now he's just making it clear. It's going to hurt. Life is going to hurt. Coming to me, following me, rather than making everything perfect, is going to make some things worse. You don't believe me? Be the only believer in your family. That's going to make family dynamics worse. You don't believe me? Go talk to the Muslim convert in Sudan whose entire family now wants to not just reject him, but kill him because of his newfound faith. Life is going to be painful. John has known much pain over the last 40 to 50 years, all the way back to, this is Thursday night that he's talking, the next morning. When he stands and he witnesses the trial, the beatings, the, the 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 slapping, the spitting, the everything, and then the crucifixion, and he says, "Y'all are going to sorrow. You are going to weep and mourn. The world's going to rejoice. They're about to lose Jesus, and they haven't remembered anything he has said. Not certainly not in the not uh, how he meant it." So the fact that he is dead come Friday afternoon, they think it's over with. They have lost Jesus. And that's all they know. The truth is, we lose sight of Jesus. We focus on the wrong things, ourselves, our sin, our our persecutions, our hurt, our pain. And we take our eyes off of him. We lay down the cross for a while. We, we choose not to follow his path. We get off the straight and narrow. How, whatever phrase you want to use, we, we aren't focused on the one we're supposed to be focused on. We lose Jesus. Joy is knowing that he never loses us. Verse 22 So you also have sorrow now and later. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. How how could they never take away their joy? Because they are never taken away from Jesus. He is the source of that joy. The disciples will have a joy that never leaves them when they see Jesus again. See, they're going to they're gonna remember these things that he's saying. Obviously, John is remembering these things that he's saying. And, and they might remember them come Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. The, the next couple of days. Oh, he's back. He's, yay! But he's going to the Father. He's only back temporarily, physically. Just a few days, he's going to be gone again. But their joy isn't going away when he leaves. Because, because he's sending the Comforter, the Counselor, the one that will comfort and lead to truth and testify to him. And he, will, and he and the Father will come and be with them. That's chapter 14. They never lose Jesus. Their joy will be eternal. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, John. Wait a minute, Jesus. Jesus. I know we'll be joyful when we see you again and and maybe even after you go and and things are, wow, that was was great and what now? And then Pentecost and all this stuff. They're going to have sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow throughout the rest of their lives. Eleven of the twelve, we are fairly sure, were martyred, were killed for their faith. John was exiled for his faith probably died alone or somewhat alone on that island of patmos certainly died separated from his church and his church family they're gonna know sorrow upon sorrow pain upon pain and yet jesus says no one will take away your joy from you but i'm gonna have sorrow but you're gonna have joy But I'm gonna have pain, but you're going to have joy. And those things weren't taken away? No one will take it away. Nothing can take you from my hand. We have a joy that never leaves us. Remember, we come after this, right? We all know we weren't there on that Thursday night. We come later, and we have joy, and I mean, we have sorrow and we have pain, but we have the same joy. We have joy, but even though we've never seen Jesus. Remember, not seeing is believing. We've never had, we, we can go and see the empty tomb, we can see what's not there. But we've never seen Jesus, physically. And yet we have him just as much as the disciples did. We have the joy that never leaves us just as much as the disciples did and then this last little tacked on part verses 23 24 let's swoop down a little closer for just a second we have the excuse me we have the joy of asking and receiving there are only a handful of imperatives in this passage starting in verse 18 it says uh, of chapter 15 understand that it hated me that's an imperative verse 20 remember the word i spoke to you that's an imperative then we don't have another imperative until chapter 16, verse 24. Ask, and you will receive. It is joy to know that we can go to the Father, direct access to the Father. In those days, you won't ask me for anything, Jesus says, you'll go to the Father. Remember, temple curtain, torn, top to bottom, access to the Father, access to the Holy of Holies because of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus. Y'all realize that, right? We pray to the Father. We don't pray to Jesus. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Mary. We pray to the Father. Because we have direct access. Jesus says, you won't need to pray, in my, uh, pray to me. We get it in his name, but we don't pray to him. We go straight to the Father because we have gained access through the Son. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive. Y'all know you can ask for anything you want, and God will give it to you. Y'all know there's something coming at the end of that. You know I'm not going to stand up here and say that. Chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Back to where we were. Verse 24 of 16 Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. What's the necessary part? Remain in Jesus. As the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus and leads us to truth, then that affects our asking. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Do the first thing, then you get the second thing. Delight yourself in the Lord. And you get the desires of your heart. Why? Because your desires will be his desires. Ask anything you want if you remain in Jesus, because everything you want will be about Jesus if you're remaining in him like you're supposed to. If you're following him like you're supposed to. And you get the joy of knowing because I have remained in Jesus, I get to ask and the Father will give it. I get to go directly to the Father. Ask, because of my relationship with Jesus, the Father, and the Father will give it to me if I have remained in Jesus. Because you know what? You're not going to ask for stupid, selfish things like a 1961 Corvette if you're remaining in Jesus. That is is a fleshly desire on my part. That is not a Holy Spirit desire. Finally, we see promised peace. Promised persecutions, promised understanding promised joy, and promised peace. I have spoke verse 25, chapter 16, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, and I'm going to put the emphasis as I believe he put it. Do you now believe? Not, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Really? Indeed, and here's the proof that you don't really. Indeed, an hour is coming and has come, just a little bit, when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Do you now believe? Yet I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. I've told you these things, that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Do you now believe? Yeah, they wanted to. They thought they did. It was progressive revelation, whatever you want to call it, bits and pieces of understanding. They thought they did, but nah just a few minutes, they're going to run like, like crazy. Puppies with their tails tucked between their legs. But he still promises peace. Why can we have peace? Why do the disciples have peace? Knowing, being told, you really don't understand, and you're about to disown me, but here, you will have peace anyway. Why? Verses 26 and 27, direct access to the Father. Exactly what I've already, ta- already talked about. You not only have joy because of your access to the Father, you have peace because of the direct access to the Father. Let's go back to my very bad analogy of an uh, uh, industrial accident. Something's going on, and you know you're, you're watching meters and stuff and that doesn't look right that looks like it could end up being bad in just a little bit well if you've got a chain of command of about 30 well i got to send an email or a text or whatever to this one and he's got to send it that and she and by the time it gets to the person who can fix it it might be too late and don't don't tell me that's not the way it works i don't care don't mess up my analogy with facts But if you have direct access to the one who can shut it all down, who can fix it all, prevent it all, well, that's the first call you're going to make, right? You're not going to go through the steps. You're going to, wait a minute, there's only one that can really do something about this. That is peace. That is knowing, okay, something goes wrong. I've got the phone number I need. We do that as parents when we go out somewhere and leave the kids at home with a babysitter or whatever. Hey, here's the phone number. If you need us, call us. That helps versus no access. We have peace because we have direct access to the Father. We don't have to go through any mediator. Jesus has already mediated it, He has already opened it up for us. So we're good, we're done. You will ask in my name, but I'm not telling you I will ask the Father on your behalf. The Father already loves you. You already have access. Ask in my name because that's how you have access. Yes, but you don't have to ask me to ask Him. doesn't work that way. We ask Him. No channels. Straight there. We have peace because eventually we'll understand. By and by, when the morning comes, We will tell the story of how we overcome. We, Something, something. We will understand it better by and by. That's what I'm trying to get because that's the the part. We will. We'll understand it better by and by. Eventually, we'll understand. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Or go back to verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. We have peace when we know what's going to happen. Or we have peace when we know not necessarily what's going to happen, but who's in control of what's happening. If, if, if I can never lose my joy, that can never be taken from me. If I can never be taken out of Jesus' hand, well, everything else, the persecutions, the pain, the sorrow, well, that doesn't matter. I have peace because I understand my position. I have peace because I know what's coming. You're going to have persecution. Verse 33, you will have suffering in this world. I won't like the suffering, but it is is nice to know it's not going to surprise me when it comes. Oh my goodness, I didn't know this was going to be hard. Yeah, you did. Shut up. Over and over and over And when it happens, I get to say, I knew it was coming, but I know whose hand I'm in. And I have joy and I have peace. Peace because of supernatural courage. Be courageous. This is the last imperative, by the way. Be courageous. That is a command. Have courage. How do you have courage? I mean, I can understand that I've been given, maybe given courage, but how do I be courageous when I'm not courageous? Because joy and peace and Jesus. I can be courageous in any circumstance because kill me, fine, I go to heaven. Leave me here, then I testify about Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Either way, I win because Jesus won. And I have peace in this courage that I have, I just need to enact and use. And finally, I have peace because Jesus wins. I have conquered the world. I have peace because of Jesus's victory. So it doesn't matter if I win, win in life. It doesn't matter if persecution kills me or Something else does or if I have a bad hip or if I have this or that or things are bad and uh, it struggle here and struggle there. I have joy and peace and courage because ultimately Jesus not just will win, but he has won. It's this already not yet thing. One day, everything, all sin, every lake of fire, all that stuff, whether, whether that's literal or figurative, doesn't matter. There's an end to it. But right now, today, it has already ended. Jesus has already won. That's why I can win against sin. That's why I can win against the devil. That's why I can win against myself, who is both sinful and often the devil. Because Jesus won. Jesus won at the cross. When he said, it is finished, he didn't mean he was finished. The work of defeating the devil and sin was done. Now he works on us. Jesus has conquered the world. Jesus was victorious over the world, and Jesus was victorious over your sin. Michael, how can I have <laughs> persecution? I don't really want it, but it's just kind of part of the package. But how can I have understanding, and how can I have joy, and how can I have peace? How can I have a family when I don't have a family or a, a tribe when I don't have a tribe or a country when I don't have a country or whatever? How can, I, how can I be a part of that? Because Jesus was victorious over sin. Sin was defeated at the cross. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Sin is real. Sin is a part of us. Sin is a part of every one of us. And the wages of that is death. We will eternally be separated from God because of sin. Physically, we die because of sin, but spiritually... We are separated from God because of sin. The very real. There's a gift of salvation. Eternal life. Overcoming sin. And eternity with God. That is a gift for you to receive. And you receive that because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of the work He did on the cross. And if you accept Him as Lord and Savior... Savior and Lord, doesn't matter the order, they go together. You trust Him for salvation and you follow Him as your Lord, you will be saved, yes. But you'll have understanding and joy and peace and the persecution. But you know what? That won't matter because of those three. You can have all that He offers today if you will just turn to him and take a next step maybe for you that is accepting salvation in Jesus Christ believing that he has died on the cross for your sins rose from the grave ascended to heaven and now offers that salvation to you Michael I don't understand all that okay but do you believe it understanding comes with time as the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus and leads you to truth right right But you can still believe and trust and be saved. Maybe you need to follow in baptism. Maybe you have some other step of obedience. Join the church. Give up some things in your life. Conform your life to Christ. Submit to God and a plan that He has, a purpose that He has, whatever it may be. Uh, We're going to sing in just a minute, and I'll be down here on my right. Chelsea will be on my left. Justin, our youth minister, will be in the back. Lee and Kirk, two of our deacons, will also be in the back. If you want to pray with somebody, any of us will be happy to do that. If you just want to come here and lay something down on the altar, do that. I've told you before, there's, there's something powerful about not just doing something in your head where you are, but making a physical step, even if you're not talking to us. You can just talk to God. But moving physically helps you to move something spiritually. Spiritually. Does the Bible say that? No, I think that's just basic psychology. So we're going to sing in just a minute, and I want you to move something this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you still give us understanding, joy, and peace, even in the midst of our persecutions. Lord, may we not just claim Jesus as our Savior but as our Lord, believe and do what he says. And if we are following him, the world will hate us, the world will reject us. Lord, may we never be so fearful of the world that we lose sight of Jesus. And Lord, when we do, correct, discipline, reprimand, redirect, so that we can experience the understanding, joy, and peace that you offer through your Son. God, we thank you that we have direct access to you. We don't pray to anybody else. Because of Jesus, we have the access. But this morning, we come and we pray directly to you. Not just me. Nobody here has to go through me. Lord, every heart turned to you, speaking to you this morning. And I pray that that will continue over the next few minutes as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this time, let's stand, let's sing. If you want somebody to pray with you, that's great. Maybe you just want to bring it here to the altar. But move something this morning. Let's sing.